0: to the markets. Dateline, Chicago. Friday, February 14. Happy Valentine's Day. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson, and uh, we're going to spend this time talking weather and markets and the uh, holiday that's coming up. As a matter of fact, let me begin by reminding you, because I had forgotten this, but Monday is a market holiday, President's Day, and uh, Wall Street and the agricultural commodity markets will be closed in observance of George Washington's birthday and Abraham Lincoln's birthday that we have now put into one holiday called President's Day. So heading into the three-day trading weekend, what happened today uh, in the marketplace? The S&P 500 ended modestly higher today following some strong earnings from Nvidia and a report late in the session that the White House was considering a tax incentive for Americans to buy stocks. Now, of course, we're still dealing with the coronavirus situation and it's not getting much better as a matter of fact it continues to get worse but Maybe if you use the word better, you could attribute that to a fewer number of cases being reported. But let's talk about the CNBC report that the Trump administration could introduce a tax incentive. For people earning less than two hundred dollars or two hundred thousand dollars to invest up to ten thousand dollars in US stocks, that gave the markets a late boost. It's being talked about, but it certainly isn't reality yet. However, reacting to it, one analyst said in an election year, especially when the president is getting backlash that the tax cut benefits only the rich. Seeking a way to democratize the stock market to low income earners would be a popular maneuver. The three major stock averages headed into the holiday weekend, having posted their second consecutive weekly advance. And uh, since We have to talk about it. The coronavirus, now called COVID-19, so far has taken 1,380 lives, infected 63,851 people, and that's according to Chinese authorities. In a recent Reuters survey of 40 economists, the respondents China's economy in the current quarter is suffering its slowest growth since the financial crisis, but they also believe the downturn will be short-lived if the outbreak is contained. Another analyst said the true economic implications of the coronavirus are still unknown. At the end of the day, earnings matter more for the sustainability of stocks than near-term headlines. Indeed, as we take a look at the sustainability of stocks near term, the 387 companies in the S&P 500 that have reported fourth-quarter results, 77% have surprised Wall Street expectations to the upside. Analysts now see fourth-quarter earnings rising at an annual pace of 2.6%, And that's a striking reversal of the three-tenths-of-a-percent decline seen on January 1st. As we take a look at some of the economic reports that, uh, well, before we do that, let's look at the closing numbers on Wall Street today. The the market uh, showed modestly higher close on the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. And uh, so we'll continue to watch if there's any development on the tax proposal from the president. The Dow down 25 points for the day. The S&P 500 gained six points for the day. And uh, the uh, uh, rest of the markets, uh, not much of a move today. Taking a look at uh, the uh, reports that impacted the market this week, Underlying consumer prices picked up in January, while the number of Americans filing claims for unemployment benefits rose slightly last week. The reports from the Labor Department on Thursday followed on the heels of Fed Chair Jerome Powell's remarks to lawmakers this week that the economy is, quote, "...in a very good place, performing well." And he added that over the next few months, we expect inflation to move closer to 2% as unusually low readings from early 2019 drop out of the 12-month calculation. The U.S. Central Bank last month left interest rates steady and pretty much expected to keep monetary policy on hold this year after it reduced the borrowing costs three times in 2019. An economist in New York said there is not no inflation out there, and with unemployment claims remaining at low full employment levels, inflation pressures will continue to build. In the 12 months through January, the core consumer price index went up two and a third percent, rising by the same margin for four straight months. The dollar little changed against a basket of currencies, while U.S. Treasury prices rose. And then uh, we take a look at the labor market. Inflation likely to be supported by a tightening labor market. In a second report yesterday, the Labor Department said initial claims for state unemployment benefits rose 2,000 to 205,000 for the week ended February 8. Economists had expected claims to rise to 210,000 in the latest report, and the government reported just last week that the economy created 225,000 jobs in January after adding 147,000 positions in December. Price of oil today was up over 1% on hopes that demand will rebound from the coronavirus effect there's that word and there's that disease again but oil prices were up one percent Brent crude up 98 cents a barrel to settle at $57.32 it rose five and a quarter percent since last Friday its first weekly increase in six weeks and U.S. crude gained 63 cents today to settle at $52.05 a barrel and for the week U.S. crude was up nearly three and a half percent. So what do we look for in the week ahead, keeping in mind that there will be no trade on Monday. It is a market holiday. But uh, as we look ahead to what will happen on Tuesday, uh, Walmart scheduled to report fourth quarter results. The world's largest brick-and-mortar retailer expected to post another quarter of same-store sales gain, boosted by strength in its e-commerce and its grocery business, even as it faces some tough competition from Amazon.com that has hurt rivals. Investors will watch for details on how Walmart's China suppliers would be impacted by the coronavirus outbreak. Deere & Company will release its first quarter earnings in pre-market hours on Friday. Company expected to report lower profit and sales hurt by a slowdown in demand for farm and construction equipment. In response, it's cutting costs and laying off workers. The interim Sino-U.S. trade deal was expected to boost farmers' sentiment, maybe driving its purchases of farm machinery a little bit higher. And on Wednesday, we have Federal Reserve Bank presidents all over the country on the speaking circuit. They'll be out there talking about uh, various impacts on the U.S. economy because of what's happening. And we'll get an existing home sales report for January. That'll come out on Friday, likely to show a 1.8% decline to a rate of 5,450,000 units. And then on Thursday, initial jobless claims for the week ended February 15th likely to have risen to 210,000 from 205,000 for the week ended February 8. And uh, other reports, pretty quiet day. The uh, Albemarle Corporation, the world's largest producer of lithium for electric vehicle batteries, will be recording its fourth quarter results on Wednesday. We'll get a couple of economic reports as well from Canada, and uh, otherwise it's a pretty quiet time on the report and earnings report uh, agenda for next week. We are going to uh, invite... uh, uh, different host for the market report today because max armstrong had to uh, cover the farm machinery show in louisville and so uh, we turn to another gentleman that we like to talk to here on the markets Uh, his name is mike pearson and uh, mike will be back to share his thoughts on the market when we continue on the markets
1: Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of A Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is huge. Here to help.
2: Well, folks, I am Mike Pearson standing in today for Max Armstrong, and joined here in the booth with Mr. Matt Bennett from Agmarket.net. Matt, we saw the USDA release their February World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report, the WASDI report, which is watched by the trade, typically not the February report, but this week we were we were tuned in. Bring us up to speed. Why were folks keeping an eye on this report more than they typically do watch the February?
3: You know, typically in February, it's just kind of a ho-hum report. January, you know, is the big report. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the March report coming up whenever you've got planning intentions. February just kind of like the ugly step kid, <laughs> You know, but you come in here this year and you're saying, hey, what's the USDA going to do with phase one? You know, they are a little bit vague. They said that uh, they were going to do a, basically a broad, uh, uh, you know, scope that they're going to actually look at it from, but nothing like as far as uh, specific. So we didn't know whether they were going to get uh, – too aggressive as far as making maybe a a corn sale or two to China, maybe that assumption, but they really didn't do so. They dropped corn exports and uh, you know bean exports actually went up, even though the pace would suggest that that wouldn't uh, be the thing to do. So obviously, they lent a little bit of credit to that phase one trade deal as far as soybeans was concerned.
2: Well, you mentioned we didn't see much happen on the corn side. Uh, There's been a lot of chatter in the trade ever since phase one was signed with China that that was one place we could see China step in in a larger way was on the corn side of the balance sheet. USDA didn't seem to add much credence to that. Is that going to be a real psychologically negative factor in this corn market as we head through the rest of February?
3: Yeah, it's it's the number that the trade printed. I think there's a lot of folks out there trying to figure out, well, if the Chinese do go ahead and come to the table and buy some corn, what's this going to mean? You know, what's the true carryout right now? And I say true carryout because I think there's still a lot of question marks out there. Obviously, all the corn hadn't even been harvested not, yet. Yeah. Uh, first of all, second of all, a really low test weight crop uh, is not as good of a crop to feed or to use for corn, usage for ethanol. Uh, we know that you're going to have to burn through more corn to get the same things done that you want to get done in those two sectors. And so, you know, there's a lot of unknowns out there yet. Uh, Is it friendly, the market? Absolutely not. You know, Uh, but I I would say that there's still a lot that could happen later on. Trade's probably not going to get completely down in the dumps on the corn market just yet, I don't believe. But, you know, at the same time, we, we really need to see the soybean market maybe catch life, too. That might give a little bit of support to corn.
2: Well, it might. And Matt, you hit on something huge there. We could see the corn market catch on a little bit. Later on, a crop like we harvested in 2019 isn't always great at hanging on until the market begins to reward. For guys who are looking, they're checking their bins, they're seeing conditions maybe not looking so ideal at this point in the spring. How should they be handling the market right now? Should we be going ahead to make some cash sales, look at re ownership on the board? What's the best way to? Perhaps be there for this thing should it ever decide to turn around.
3: You know, if if their corn is in the elevator or if it's on basis contracts at the elevator, you know, I'm probably getting to the point where I'm. I, I guess I'm about ready to go ahead and move on. And if I want to uh, keep some ownership, I want to do it on a limited risk standpoint. You know, I don't want to get too aggressive uh, here and and make a, a, a not so good sale even worse. You know, if yeah. you will. And I don't want to joke about it too much because it's frustrating. I mean, I'm right there with these guys. Uh, of course, I farm there in Central. Uh, Illinois, if, if you're looking at stuff that's in the bin, it's a little bit different uh, different deal. If you were able to harvest that corn uh, at a dry moisture and you know that it's probably going to be able to keep just a little bit better, man, I think I'd be holding on to that stuff, at least a portion of it. Now, I'm not saying hold on to 50% of your crop or something like that, but if I could hold on to 25% of corn and feel like it's really in good shape. If you do get a late spring again this year, then you've got to understand that basis is going to absolutely be on fire towards the end of the summertime frame. And, yeah, you may not get the futures rally, but you may see uh, places that are 20 over right now, a dollar over this summer.
2: Oh man, dollar over would be music to a lot of folks' ears, I think.
3: Well, the bottom line, though, you got to understand right now, out east and then into Hertford, Texas, both of those two areas, you're already seeing a dollar over. And I mean, typically they run fairly good. There's no question about it. Uh, you get into that Pennsylvania, Maryland, New York State area, there's a lot of areas that are corn deficit. And of course, Hertford's uh, corn deficit. Whenever you get into the panhandle, you know, there's a whole lot of mouths to feed down there. But uh, that's all going to filter out at some point. We already see basis really good in the eastern corn belt. You get into Ohio and even eastern Indiana. There's areas that, you know, the posted bids are way better than what they typically see. Uh, but the posted bids don't even tell the story sometimes. Uh, some of these guys are really hunting for corn already.
2: Man, well, you mentioned soybeans and how we might need to see soybeans catch fire before this corn market really does start to, to get a little little fire in britches. On the soybean side, we did see USDA cut carryout 50 million bushel. What happened there? Where did that carryout come from?
3: You know, as far as soybeans are concerned, it all came from exports. You know, basically, they're saying that phase one trade deal that they see uh, or tipping their hat and saying, you know what, China is probably going to come in here and buy a whole lot of soybeans or at least enough uh, to tip the scales a little bit. Now, four and a quarter, uh, you know, is that I mean, that's less than half of what we were talking about previously, but at the same time, four and a quarter historically is the third largest we've ever seen. And so, you know, it's still a pretty good size carry out, but stocks usage ratio is, is definitely way better than what we thought it was going to be previously. Uh, Basically, if the Chinese would come in with a little bit of a surprise purchase here and there, uh, you could start to tighten this thing up quite a bit.
2: What's your take? And I'm asking to gaze into your crystal ball here, Matt. We've got coronavirus going on in China. We've got African swine fever still happening in China. We've got H5N1 avian influenza breaking in China. In your mind, Will China, given those amounts of uncertainties, step in and actually make some soybean purchases?
3: That's a really tough question. Uh, right now, you've got to assume that they're going to at some point. Now, has this thing crested yet? Not quite. I don't think on coronavirus. I think that they're saying, you know, the mortality rates are down, but we're still seeing a lot of infections. And so, uh, obviously, it's uh, it's an issue that w- that all of us are concerned with. At the same time, you've got 1.4 billion people that have to eat uh, definitely a higher protein diet than what historically they've had. I mean, it's just continued to get richer and richer in protein. But it's tough whenever you can only let one person out of your house in some of these provinces every other day. Uh, And so are they going to be going with more of a rice and noodle based diet for a while? Probably. And so, you know, it's going to make a dent. There's no question. I mean, if you take people off of a, a protein rich diet for two months, the repercussions on that many people is significant.
2: Well, it certainly can cause meat to back up, but that's something China needs as they've seen incredible meat inflation over the past year as African swine fever has decimated their hog heart.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And so on down the road, you've got to assume that there's going to be a significant demand for protein. And I think when you look at the hog market, you know, there's a huge carry out and there has been for quite a while. The the carry in the hog market gets out, you know, $15 higher than your front months. And uh, what it boils down to is that people are saying, you know what, this demand is going to show up. It's going to show up. We've been betting on the come for quite some. Time uh, and we've got to hope that maybe uh, that shows it's going to show up in some place or another. We don't know exactly where. Uh, I'm also uh, I've also thought that the the live cattle market would reflect this somewhat, but we don't see that big carry. Uh, the reason why I think that though, I mean, if you look last six seven years, the Chinese have actually increased their beef consumption around twenty to twenty five percent, which is huge. Whenever you're talking those numbers, so you know, anytime they get a little more money in their pockets, just like anywhere else in the world, they might prefer a T bone steak over a pork.
2: Absolutely. And one of the things that's been kind of frustrating looking at it from the beef perspective is the big gains of China's increase in beef consumption have mainly gone to South America. The, The devaluation of the Brazilian real, the Argentine peso having its trouble here over the past 12 months have certainly made those cheaper products for China to import. Do you think that's going to change? Are we going to see eventually those buyers come to the U.S. as they look for higher grade protein?
3: You would sure hope so, but uh, this uh, currency situation, I mean, th- this week, you know, we saw the lowest uh, the real been historically, I mean, versus the dollar. It's just so frustrating uh, for a producer. It seems like we just – we have uh, 10,000 things going against us right now. Yes. And, and, and so you've got to hope that at some point this is going to tip, it's going to turn, uh, but we have to get the dollar to back off, period. Uh, I don't care whether we're talking corn, beans, wheat, beef. We have to get the dollar to back off something. I know that there's been a lot of measures you know to try to to make our economy look as good as it possibly could if I'm a farmer though and I want someone to tip some sort of magic uh uh you know whatever you call it let's get the dollar down. You yeah. know, it'd be, it'd be so nice if there's, there's just no way to manipulate it though. Really?
2: There isn't. We're the best if house if, in a bad neighborhood. Yes, as everybody if, says. If,
3: if we're going to play fair and do things the way we're supposed to do, I mean, it's a safe haven. And mm-hmm. you know, I know a lot of us that live in the U S sometimes shake our head and say, why would it be a safe haven? But it's a safe haven.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, we're the best. When you look around the re- the rest of the global economies. Now, before we let you get out of here, Matt, you mentioned the, the drop in the dollar would be beneficial to a lot of different commodity producers. One of the biggest winners would probably Probably be the wheat market. We've seen wheat go on a heck of a ride earlier this spring. Now descent stepped back a little bit. As you look out to the future, we're expecting, or we did see smaller winter wheat plantings. You know, spring wheat plantings probably going to be down. I know there are some producers up in North Dakota that still have last year's spring wheat standing or laying flat in the field up there. Where is this wheat market going to go?
3: You know, the thing about wheat, whenever you look at this July market, uh, you know, in that um, 550 area, uh, there's – times here in the last couple years that producers would have loved to have hedged at 550. Now, uh, I understand that we were almost at $6. And so it's pretty tough to, to look at that 550 and say, wow, she looks good, right? But at the same time, I want to be looking at my profitability scenarios. If nothing else, at least manage some risks there, uh, because uh, there could be some decent money made at just normal yields if you see 550 wheat. Now, do I think that we can run back to 6 bucks? Absolutely. If you have any weather issues with the kind of acreage we're talking, I don't think there's any question that the wheat market's going to be sensitive to
2: that all right things to keep an eye on well matt bennett tell our listeners how can they get a hold of you if they want to pick your brain any further
3: Yeah, if they just want to go to the website, agmarket.net, you know me and the other three guys I do business with, you can uh, get a hold of any of us there and learn more about what we do.
2: And you'll be down at Commodity Classic in San Antonio next week.
3: I will be. uh, I'll be in a lot of places between now and then, but I'll finally get to go to Commodity. I'll say anybody that's listening, if you get to catch up with me, I will have my family there, at least part of my family. Really excited to take them along this year. It's going to be nice to be able to do that.
2: All right. See the Alamo. Do the River Walk, Do the whole tourist thing while you're down there getting the whole thing
0: as a (laughs) write-off. As an eight yeah, trip.
3: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: well, Matt Bennett, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us yeah, today. Thanks for having me. As always, we say thank you to Mike Pearson, a gentleman we've known for a long time who has been spending a long time in analyzing markets particularly on the agricultural scene.
1: Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1330. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help.
0: I want to begin this portion of our broadcast by talking about a proclamation by the Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, this week. The Secretary issued a proclamation naming February 16 to 22 as Grain Bin Safety Week. Earlier this week, the Secretary sat down with the Governor of South Dakota to talk about the importance of grain bin safety on the farm. Governor Noem uh, grew up on a farm in Hamlin County, South Dakota, and has a personal connection to farm safety. She has been an advocate for increased grain bin safety efforts for years. And it's interesting that we bring this up as a proclamation for this week in February, because in Illinois, in the last week, a farmer was killed in a grain bin accident. It keeps happening. And we've got to find a way to stop it. And one of the first ways that we have to, I think, besides paying a lot of attention— is to make sure that people don't go into a grain bin for any reason by themselves. Always have somebody outside the grain bin in position to help if something goes wrong. Secretary Purdue said, we hope grain operators, farmers, and community leaders will join us in expanding knowledge of safe practices, not just during National Grain Bin Safety Week, but year-round. Tragedies like the one that uh, Governor Nome's family experienced happen all too frequently, he said, and they call for greater action, which is why I've signed a proclamation naming February 16 to 22 as National uh, Grain Bin Safety Week. So uh, pay attention, will you? And follow some of the common sense rules, we don't like to lose listeners at all and certainly don't want to lose you. Something else that's going on this week, the Environmental Protection Agency, seeking White House guidance on the future, of its controversial biofuel waiver program after a court ruling cast doubt over its legitimacy and aims to announce a decision by early next month. In late January, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit said the EPA must reconsider some waivers it gave oil refineries exempting them from the nation's biofuel blending laws. The ruling has prompted speculation that the EPA will need to reconsider dozens of other waivers it has granted under similar circumstances and drastically reduce the numbers of waivers handed out in the future. The exemption program has saved oil refineries hundreds of millions of dollars in regulatory costs, but it has infuriated the corn and biofuel industries, which say the Trump administration has overused the exemptions in a way that undermines demand for corn-based ethanol. And it's going to be interesting to see what the future could be on the exemptions that have already been granted and what kind of an impact it could have for corn farmers and that it could also have for the ethanol producers. As we move into the three-day holiday trading week, let's take a look at where we ended up in the marketplace today at the end of this week. As we check that story, the uh, grain market at the Chicago Board of Trade, pretty much a red screen there. The March wheat contract was up just a quarter of a cent, but the other wheat contracts ended the day lower. March corn down one and three quarters. The rest of the corn months generally down three and a quarter to three and three quarters cents. And soybeans generally down three to uh, make it two to three cents a bushel in the trade today. As far as the livestock futures concerned today, April lean hog contract did mention to close uh, was able to close higher, up fifteen cents a hundredweight. The April live hog contract ended the day up a dollar ninety cents at a hundred twenty dollars forty-two cents, and the April feeder cattle contract ended the day at hundred forty-one dollars thirty-seven cents, and that was a gain of two dollars and forty-seven cents for the day. The National Farm Machinery Show comes to a close Saturday night with the championship tractor pull. That's the last tractor pull of a week long of tractor pulling competition at the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville. Well, that's our time. As always, we thank you for joining us, and we look forward to your company again next week when we're back with the markets.